You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. We are talking about I am forgiven. Now, please forgive me because some of you may have a handout that says I am not forgiven. That is a blooper. That is a mistake. <laughs> I, I fell into the old cut and paste deal, you know, where you just kind of cut and paste. And last week, I, I am not forsaken. So I just took out forsaken and put in forgiven, but I forgot to take out the not. So if some of you got one of those, please, there's, there's no spiritual connotation about that. Trust me, you are forgiven. You were just the unlucky person that got a bulletin that slipped through. Anyhow, we were scrambling to redo the bulletins because we thought that would be a noteworthy change to the title of the message to go from I am not forgiven to I am forgiven. And please forgive your very human pastor. All right. Hey, we got some good things coming up. I forgot to announce this, but some great speakers coming up in March. March, the first weekend in March, we have uh, Pastor Carl Gustav Severn from Sweden with us. So, yay, Carl will be back here in Vancouver with us. He's on some other business. And so I said, hey, as long as you're here, we're going to put you to work and have you speaking for us. So that's a lot of fun. He he, he speaks Swinglish. And so if you've heard him before, uh, it's broken English, but man, is it good. And so that's going to be the first weekend. And then the second weekend, a good friend of is one of the best pastors in all of Canada, building an amazing church. Pastor Leon Fontaine will be with us, and uh, you can find his podcast and all the rest of it. He's a great preacher, teacher of the word, a great leader. And uh, so he's going to be here with us the second weekend. And you say, well, where are you guys? We are taking a cruise. I am taking my wife, and we're going to go on a cruise. We haven't been on a, a week two-week holiday since 1982 when we went on a motorbike cruise for a long time. So we just thought it was time, and our board said, you have to go. We're going to, now you have to go. You need to take more than a week off, and so we're, we're, we're going to do that. But in the meantime, you're going to have some great speakers here coming up in March. Uh, tonight, we're talking about I Am Forgiven. The whole series in the year is on being devoted in the month of February, we're talking about because God's devoted to us, we're, we end up being devoted to him. He, he first loved us. He first showed us his loyalty, his favor, his devotion to us, his commitment to us. And as a result of it, now we reciprocate that and we're devoted to him. I believe the more we realize what he's done for us, the more we want to be devoted to him. Today's message, the more we realize how much he's forgiven us, the more we want to serve him. There was a woman who came and she washed Jesus' feet and and they got upset at her because he was washing her feet and they said, you know, leave her alone. And and he made the statement, you know, to whom much is forgiven, they love much. And because she knew what Jesus had done, done for her. She just had this incredible love for him, so devoted to Jesus, she really didn't care what you thought about it. I am so devoted to him because I know what he's done for me. That's what I'm talking about tonight. When we realize the depth of his forgiveness, the nature of our Father, man, then we want to really, really be devoted to him. Our text tonight is a familiar one. It's in Luke chapter uh, 15, verses 11 to 24. So if you have your Bibles, you can go there. You can open up the old-fashioned way, or you can pull it up on your iPad, or your, or your Blackberry, or your Android, or your, or your iPhone, or whatever, whatever you got. And let's look at the Word. Good to bring the Bible to church. Amen? And uh, in today's world, there's no excuse not to do it because it's so easy to carry it around electronically. And uh, so let's go to Luke chapter 15. 
That's our text for, uh, for this evening. By the way, your memory verses are on the notes. Some of you uh, were wondering, because you're doing the platinum level. I had a couple of keen platiners last week come up to me after the service, and they said, can you just clarify what's the verse again for the first week of February, the second week of February? So I put them right at the bottom of your notes. They should be there, the different verses that we have for February. The first week was Psalm 37, 25, I have been old. I'm being young, now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor descendants begging bread. Then we had 1 John 4.10 last week. This is real love. Remember we talked about what is real love. It is not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. If you missed that message, by the way, that's cornerstone message. And go back, pick it up off the podcast, listen to it. These messages build one on the other. And so you just take 30 minutes and on the sky train or commuting and just download that message and follow up on it. That was that verse. And then today, uh, a verse some of you might have already memorized, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're doing the platinum level, now there's two levels, folks. Remember, there's the gold level. The gold level is one verse a month. At the end of the year, you'll have memorized 12 verses. How cool is that? But if you want to go to the platinum level, which is HNL, whole nother level. If you want to go to the platinum level, then you're memorizing one verse a week. And who knows, by the end of the year, we could memorize 52 verses. I don't know about you, but I haven't memorized 52 verses a week and a year uh, for a long time. And so I, I'm looking forward to memorizing more of God's Word this year. Because we're devoted to His Word. Amen? If we're going to be devoted to God, we have to be devoted to the Word because Jesus is the Word. And so we're memorizing His Word. We're learning the Ten Commandments. We're going to learn the books of the Bible. And, and we're going to be more Bible literate as a congregation. I think that would be a good thing to do. All right. So tonight we're talking about I Am Forgiven. And uh, we want to look at our text, Luke chapter 15. Of course, if you uh, glanced at it already, you know in here we're going to have the story of the prodigal son. And how many have heard that story before, the prodigal son? All right, almost every hand went up. And uh, it's because it's well known, it's even a phrase, the prodigal son, it's commonly used. Uh, the whole chapter, Luke chapter 15, is the lost and found chapter of the Bible because a number of things get lost, not just the son gets lost, sheep get lost, coins get lost. And so it's the lost and found chapter of the Bible. Fortunately, they are found. They're not just lost, but they're found. Three things get lost, but let's first of all talk about the audience. Who is Jesus speaking to? Because that helps us understand. So so Luke chapter 15, verse 1, then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. These are the bad guys, okay? Here's the sinners. They're the rough crowd. They're the ones that don't have a moral compass. These are the, we would say, the wicked ones, the rough crowd. These are the, you know, just think of guys that, and gals that are just, they, they just do their own thing. And uh, then we have the tax gatherers. They were, they were hated because they worked for the Romans. And so they have this group, and they are there listening to him. And we have the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're there listening. And these are the religious ones, and they try and enforce the religious law on other people. And uh, it says, Pharisees and scribes, they complain, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. He doesn't just eat with them. He receives them. He, he is there hosting them. And so that, that really irked them. Jesus, you're supposed to be a rabbi. You're supposed to be a teacher. You're supposed to be, you say, they say you're the Messiah, but here you are hosting these people, receiving them. We have a problem with who you're hanging out. 
and it makes us nervous who you spend time with. So they're there, these religious people. And, of course, we have the disciples there. So we've got three groups of people. Now, the sinners, the rough crowd, uh, to them, these stories are, these parables, they're a message of hope. Oh, there's hope for me. That's what they're going to get out of it. The religious establishment had kicked them out. They had kind of forced them. They didn't want them in their services. They didn't want them in their homes. But they had heavy hearts. And this was hope for them, what he tells them. Then we've got Pharisees and scribes, religious scholars. And to them, it's a message of love. Because they have very hardened, arrogant hearts. And you need the love of God to break that down. So to them, it's a message of love. And then we have the disciples. And to the disciples, it's a message of faith. Because for them, they had a hard time. It was a mystery to them. How could God be like this? He's not a respecter person. For them, it was a mystery. So you have hope, and you've got love, and you've got faith. And you know 1 Corinthians 13, these three abide. And you have that here in this chapter, the lost and found chapter, Luke chapter 15. Now, we are lost in different ways. And you have to understand the way this chapter works to catch where we're going with the lost son. First of all, you have the lost sheep. And uh, the lost sheep, they are lost because they just wandered off involuntarily. They're just, you know, we're sheep. That is not such a big compliment when we're compared to sheep. We had sheep on the farm. They're not the brightest animal in the farm. Uh, Horses are a lot smarter. Dogs are a lot smarter. I think turkeys might be smarter. I don't know. But sheep are not the brightest and sometimes sheep, they, they, they just kind of wander off and kind of do their own thing and get into trouble. And so he talks about sheep that just wander off involuntarily. They, they, you know, really, they, they don't mean to, but they wander off and they get lost. And it says here that the good shepherd goes and finds the lost sheep. They, they've wandered off. They got into trouble. They didn't mean to. They just got into trouble and, and they need to be rescued. One time when I was a young boy, I was about five years of age, my parents had gone away on a holiday, a conference holiday, and, uh, and so my cousins were taking care of us. And we had the Waterton River. We, we live very close to Waterton National Park in southern Alberta. The Waterton River ran through our land. And uh, one day, well, every day, we'd go swimming. We'd go down the river swimming. My older cousin would watch us. We'd go swimming. And the Waterton River coming out of the mountains is a fairly fast river. But we had a pool that kind of would circulate around. And that was a quiet pool. And that's where we'd swim and fish. And then the, the current, the fast stream, was beside it. And one day, I saw my... Uh, other cousin, she was sitting on the rock and she was in the current, just had her feet kind of dangling in the current. And I thought, I just wandered off. And I thought, that'd be fun. I'd go dangle my feet in the current. But I had, a, you know, I saw her on one rock. I thought, well, I, I've got to go to the next rock. I couldn't have her close. So I went, I had to go further into the current than she was. So I climbed up on this rock and was dangling my feet in there, slipped. And I had just wandered off and fell into the stream. And uh, I could swim a little bit, but I couldn't handle the current. And I just remember being swept downstream and thinking, I am in trouble. I had, I had just wandered off. I didn't mean to, but all of a sudden I was being pulled downstream very quickly. And my last thing, I looked up and I just remember crying help. And I saw my cousin come running out of this pool that was beside the main stream there. Came running out. And that's the last thing I really remembered. And he 
he swam and got me and dragged me out of the curtain and saved my life. I would have drowned otherwise. And uh, just remember waking up at home. I don't know how they brought me to, but he saved my life that day. I'd wandered off, and he was the good shepherd, so to speak, and he saved my life. And so we have the story of the lost sheep. We wander off, but Jesus comes, and he, and he rescues us. And then we have the story of the lost coin. And this is, these are forces that we have no control over. The coin falls, law of gravity, and all of a sudden it's just it's lost. And it, so here we have a picture of the Holy Spirit who goes and shines the light, and the coin is found. Jesus, the good shepherd, Holy Spirit, and again, the coin is found. Then the third one is the lost sons. There's two sons. We're only going to talk about the younger one today, but we could talk about both of them. But the sons, they're lost through rebellion. They're lost through pride. The son is lost because he exercises himself. Well, it's a deliberate choice. And uh, the father now is mentioned. In the parable here of the lost sons, the father is mentioned 12 times. We have Jesus as a good shepherd with the Holy Spirit as a light, and now we have the Father. We have the Trinity in this chapter. And so we have now the Father here. But it's interesting, the Father isn't going looking for that son. He's waiting for him, but he didn't go looking for him because it's different. Because there was choice, there was rebellion, there was, I'm out of here, Dad, don't want you. So it's a little bit different than the coin and the sheep. You have to keep that in mind as you look at this chapter. So let's look at the restoration stages of the lost younger son because it's all about forgiveness. And again, our message is, I am forgiven. This is a classic text to use on that. So we're going to pick up the story in verse number 11, Hebrew, uh, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Do you catch that word in verse 12? Give me. In verse number 19, when he comes back, it's no longer give me, but make me. Here it's give me. It's very demanding of him. He, really, he's saying, Dad, let's pretend you're dead so I can get my share of the inheritance right now. He likely had to sell some land to make this happen. So it's a very hard attitude. And he comes to his dad with rebellion, and he says, I want my share now. Now, with that, he leaves. And we know the story. He goes out, and he spends the money and gets in trouble over it. But I want to make a point again that the father doesn't chase him. He doesn't impose his will on him. And he doesn't step in. And God, when we rebel, he doesn't step in. He has what I would call a non-interference policy. Because if he interfered and controlled us, then it wouldn't be love. If he interfered and controlled us, then how could we be obedient? Obedience can't be coerced. It can't be forced. The Bible says if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. And so he doesn't force his will on him. He he says, Dad, I want my stuff. I'm out of here. Don't want you. Thanks very much. I'm going. Now, the father has deep compassion for him, as we'll see. He's the father who waited, looked anxiously for him, but he doesn't force his will on him, nor does the father force his will on us. Sometimes, and you've probably heard the question too, some people really struggle with the wrongdoing in the world, the evil that's in the world. They say, how could there be evil in this world? How can there be evil things? But God gave us a gift of free will. And if he interfered... We wouldn't have free will. So we have evil in the world. And I'm, 
there's a whole message, there's a whole messages on why is there suffering in the world. And that's often one of the greatest obstacles for people to come to faith in God. As well, if there's a good God, why is there suffering? There's a good God because he allows us to choose. It'd be a very different world if we weren't allowed to choose. But he made us in his image and we have the right to choose. And so he doesn't interfere here. So we have this rebellion stage which is the first stage. And then the next, next stage is a, a stage of ruin. His life comes into ruin. Verse 13 to 16. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, a different country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. Now, now he could have said feed ducks. He could have said he could feed chickens. But remember who he's talking to. Remember our audience. We've got these religious rulers. We've got a bunch of people that are sinners. You've got a mixed group, and you've got the disciples. But he's using swine, pigs, because he knew these very religious people. Now they're really going, what? Like at this point, they think, write this guy off. He's left his covenant people. He even left his family. He even left his tribe. And now he's with pigs. I mean, that was... That was as low as you can go. And so Jesus is getting their attention. He, he, they're listening, and they're, they're agitated. They're, they don't even know this son, and they're mad at him. Okay, so this is where they're at. Like, what a disgrace this guy is. He went there, and he's feeding swine, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So he went from having all this wealth, won the lottery, so to speak. Dad gave him big inheritance. And now he's in another country feeding swine and, and nothing to eat. So his life is in ruin. He ended up in a faraway place, far from family and friends, nobody there to help him. Here living in downtown Vancouver, the West End, we often have people that have gone from another place to here, get as far from family and friends as I can because I want to go to the city. I want to do my own thing. I'm going to get away from the influence of dad and mom and family. I'm doing my own thing. Do you know how many times we've had a phone call from a parent in Alberta, Nova Scotia, Manitoba, Ontario, and say, my son, my daughter is down there. Can you somehow reach them? Because they ran away and they're hiding living, thinking, this is going to be it. I'll live in Vancouver, and I'm going to find my life here. And their life is in shambles because the way they left. And this son is in a faraway country, far from his people, and he doesn't have the support group around him. He doesn't have an accountability. He doesn't have the love of a father or mother or family around him, and his life ends up being ruined. He went from a son to a slave. And that's where rebellion leads you. It leads you from being a son, a, a child of God. It leads you to a slave. It doesn't happen overnight. The enemy lures you slowly. It doesn't do it quickly because it was quickly. We would, we would jump out of it. But he's, he lures us slowly. And we think it's all right. It's like the trap of the frog in the beaker. Do you remember that? That, that story, you remember that analogy? Maybe you did that experiment sometime. You've read about it. But if you take a frog, a live frog, put it in a beaker of cool water, and you increase the temperature half a degree Fahrenheit every five minutes, you can bring the water to boiling point, and that frog could jump out to freedom at any time. But because it's happening so slowly, you actually boil the frog to death. What traps a frog? The slow change. It doesn't happen all at once. Slowly he's trapped. 
this son, he's not ruined right away, but slowly what he has has been taken away from him. The good news is that he doesn't end up there. He, he ends up being rescued, as we know. Now, he was living off his father's resources the whole time. And really, everything he had, whether it be spending money on a prostitute, whether it be spending money on, on liquor, whether he's spending money, what, however he wasted his money, really, it was all possible because of dad, right? Who did he get the money from? From his father. He didn't work. This wasn't his lifetime's worth of work. It was an inheritance from his dad. Really, his dad made it all possible. He's wasting. He's being a lousy steward of what God had given or what his father had given to him. Now, likewise, you realize that everything we have is a gift from God. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Here's the verse to write down the side notes, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, where it says in the New Loving Testament, what makes you better than anyone else? What do you have that God hasn't given you? That's a good question. What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why boast as though you've accomplished something on your own? Really, all we have is from God. All we have is from the Father, just like all he had was from his Father, but he was wasting it. And so, likewise, we want to be good stewards of what we have. He was wasting what his Father had worked for and earned. The carnal life that he lived not only stole his resources, he ended up with nothing. It also, a couple things that are really clear, verse 19, it says... And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Notice this. He says, I'm no longer worthy. That kind of life steals your sense of self-worth. It also stole something very important, and that was a relationship with his dad. The money, you could make more money. But to have your sense of self-worth stolen... And have your relationship with your dad stolen. How many know those things are a lot more valuable than some money? You can make more money. But that is the real, real, real treasure here that's being lost. His sense of self-worth and the relationship with his father was lost. Sadly, this young man never developed a relationship with his father. If he had, he would have never left home. He never understood how much his father really loved him. He never figured out what was available to him at home was more than all the pleasure and money in the world. He would not believe that his father wanted the best for him and had great plans for him. So now he's in the ruin stage, but aren't you glad he doesn't stay there? I mean, what he's done is wrong. And we don't want to gloss this. We, we really want to hammer this down because the guy's a mess. Sin will mess you up. Rebellion will mess you up big time. And if we don't recognize how far it takes us from God, how much it messes us up, we will not appreciate the forgiveness of our Father. So sometimes it's just good, again, to remember how much and how, ooh, how terrible it is. This guy is a mess. 
And Jesus is painting a picture for them that's as bad as it can get. Working with pigs in another country. Like for them, our culture, you know, we fly to another country in a day and, you know, we have, don't have an issue with pigs and the rest of it. But for them, this was, this was a real nasty picture of, the, of where this guy ended up. So now let's go to the next stage. And his restoration had something important called repentance. And we pick up the story in verse 17 to 21. But when he came to himself, boy, we could park there. When he came to himself, if you have a son or a daughter, if you have a a nephew or a niece, a friend that's prodigal, that once was in church, that once was there, one of the greatest things you can pray is God help them to come to themselves. May they have a wake-up moment. May they have an aha moment saying, what in the world am I doing? How many times have we heard people say, and they could be working on Howe Street, living in an apartment, or they could be down on the street, or they could be anywhere in society, but when you have left the love of the Father, and you've run away, rebelled from God, there is a time where you can come, and kind of the, you know, Satan comes to blind our eyes, and, and, but Holy Spirit comes to remove those blinders, and we say, oh, wait a minute, what, what am I doing? And that's, this guy has a wake-up moment. He comes to himself. One translation, he comes to his senses. He writes, man, this was, I, I thought what they told me was true. I thought all those people I was buying drinks for. I thought all those people that said they loved me, they really didn't love me. He comes to himself, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? The guy's starving to death. He's literally starving to death. He asked the farmer, you're feeding your pig slop. Can I just have a little bit of slop? No, can't touch the slop. He, doesn't, he cares more for the pigs than he cares for this guy. In verse 18, he's, I'll arise and go to my father. And I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He went from give me to make me. There's a total different prayer here. It's a prayer of restoration. Then it says, and he rose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran, fell on his neck, kissed him, and the son said to him, now listen to this heart of the son, this repentant heart, father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He ended up there in this land, famine came. And sometimes, you know, when we have rebelled, we've run from God, God doesn't go down there and, and chase us and say, okay, you have to strong arm us, so you have to change. But the circumstances can change around us, and all of a sudden now he's in a famine, can't get a job, things get hard. And God has a way of putting you in a place where you wake up. Sometimes it's called the great awakening when people just woke up to the reality of God, to wake up to the love of God. And he has this awakening. It happens in a famine. Sometimes we don't like famines, but sometimes famines help people wake up that I need God. Look what happened in 9-11. It was people woke up. Prodigals came back. Oh, man, sometimes it's not, God doesn't send it, but he'll use it to awaken us. And he's, he's awakened here. I would have liked to have been there. If we can go in heaven, I don't know if heaven has this. I hope there's a room in heaven, and you can go back and play all the stories of the Bible. You know, just a little plug-in. And I would plug in prodigal son tape, plug it in there. Probably don't have tapes. It's going to be, you know, it'll be out of this world. Anyhow, we get to watch that. I'd like to go see this. I'd like to see this, you know, the guy. He's, can you imagine what this guy looked like? I mean, he's dressed in rags, skinny, face is all sunken in. 
Hands are dirty, fingernails are grown, hair is long and matted. He stinks, his beard is, hasn't been cut, and uh, he's, he's not shaven. He, his face is dirty, caked on, and he's, he, he doesn't, he's got sores on him, and he's, he's sick. And he comes up to the farmer, and he says, you know what? Here's your slop bucket. Here's your pail. I'm going home to my dad, to my father. And he goes, what? You sorry sight. You're a mess. There's no way your dad's going to want you back. You're ruined, boy. You're done. How are you going to make it home? You're, you're, it's over. Man, you smell like pigs. <laughs> you're going over to your father. Give me a break. And I think the son would have said, but you don't know my father. You don't know my dad. I'm going to my father. I know the way he treats his servants. And I have a hunch the way you'll treat me. See, there's a verse in the Bible, Romans 2, verse 4. I think I'll put it in your notes. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering? This dad hadn't written him off. Not knowing the goodness of God leads you to repentance. What caused this guy to turn around and come home? Repentance means to turn around. It was the goodness of the Father. It was his forgiving nature. That's what caused him. Oh, man. This is such a great story of God's forgiveness. The son, though, had to acknowledge that he sinned against God and against his dad. Did you notice that in verse number uh, verse number 21? The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. David blew it big time. Remember the story of David? And he, had, he, he was alone. He should have been out in battle, but he was alone at home. And one day he gets up. And he, uh, he walks out over to the edge of his little uh, palace there. And he should have been out in battle, but he was, he, again, pulled away. He looked out there. There's a lady bathing. And it says that she was beautiful to look at. And David says, hey, guys, why don't you bring over to my place? And uh, somebody should have said no at that point. He should have had somebody help him step in there, but they don't. They bring her over, and uh, they sleep together. She goes home, and then... A couple of days later, she texts him. I don't think she texted him, but she sent him a message. And uh, she said, uh, David, we got a little issue going on here. Uh, was, I don't know, how, maybe it was a couple of weeks, whatever it was, enough to know that she, she likely missed her period and she realized that she was pregnant. And she says, We're, we got a baby happening here because my husband's out in war. He hasn't been home and I ain't slept with anybody else. So guess what? You're the dad. She's telling him because this is protection for her so she doesn't get a penalty for it. And David says, ooh, we got a problem. He says, let's cover this up. So he calls for the army captain. He said, can you send her husband home? Let's get him home. And it says, come wash your feet. And wash your feet was a way of saying, come clean up your feet. Come home and lie down with your wife and make out. And so he does. The guy comes back. He says, I ain't going to do that. We're at war. Everybody else is out there. I'm not going to take a break. And so David says, well, why don't you come over and have something to drink? So he gives him something to drink, tries to get him drunk, and he still won't do it. David says, man, we've got a problem. So he calls the army captain. He says, Joab, here's what you're going to do. Just take this guy, her husband Uriah, and put him in the very front of the battle and go right to the base of this wall, the city you're trying to capture. Put him right at the bottom of the base of this thing and let him get killed in battle, basically. He has him killed. And so that's what happens. And uh, now he's broken another commandment. 
he ends up breaking four commandments. Thou shalt not kill, which is which commandment? Six, the number six. Remember that from your little... So, and he, he commits adultery, which is which commandment? Seven, the broken heart. And he also covets another man's wife, so that would be the 10th commandment. Uh, I'm missing one. Lying. Lying nine. Yeah. He lies. He breaks four commandments. Did he sin? Oh, yeah. Now he's tried to cover it up. He take, so, husband's dead. And he, guess what he does? He marries this gal. Hey, come on. We'll get married. So, it does look like it's all done. But Nathan the prophet shows up and he said, you know what, David, I'd like to have a word with you. Let me tell you a little story. It goes like this. Two guys live in the same city. One's rich, one's poor. One's got lots of sheep. One has only one little lamb. The guy has a little lamb. That's their household pet. I don't know what they called a household pet. Ate at their table when they slept, slept in the same bedroom. It was, I mean, it was a pet lamb. It was, I mean, just, it was so special to them. The rich guy has a visitor come to town. He says, hey, I'm not going to kill any of my sheep. Let's go get that poor guy's lamb. Let's kill it. So he kills that lamb. David says, what? That's an atrocity. Bring that guy to me. Nathan says, no, no, that's you. And David goes, ooh, I have sinned. And he repents. Now, if you go to Psalm 51, that whole psalm, if you just flip over to Psalm 51, because that whole psalm is about what David does. We don't have time to go through it, but it's a psalm of somebody coming for forgiveness, and it's a powerful psalm uh, in there, just to point out a couple of things to you. Psalm 51. Uh, it's a prayer of repentance. David says in verse 7, Purge me with hyssop. And I shall be clean. You know what hyssop is? It's a laxative. He says, it's like saying, purge me with X-lax. That's what David's saying. Why? He says it wasn't the outside, it's the inside. He says, oh God, I'm so dirty on the inside. Clean me. He said, I've sinned against you. He doesn't say I've sinned against Uriah. I didn't say I sinned against her her. Her family, I've sinned against you. David realized the weight of his sin, and he comes before God. And this guy coming back to his dad, he realizes the weight of what he's done wrong. Very difficult, again, for us to understand the, the, the depth of God's forgiveness unless we, again, realize how, how weighty sin is and the price that Christ paid for our freedom. So to say I'm forgiven, we don't want to take that lightly. I think sometimes Christians, as Christians, we're too flippant with it. And we, oh, it doesn't matter, God will just forgive me. That, I think, is almost blasphemous. I, I think we need to be so respectful of what it costs him to pay for our sins. And just to realize, God, I'm forgiven. Like this woman who washed Jesus' feet and she just so devoted to him because she knew where she was and she knew the freedom that she had. And so she so appreciated it. Uh, the restoration. Let's talk a little bit about the restoration. Verse 22 to 24 and then we'll wrap it up. But the father said to his servants, and I like the fact that he gained, he ran out there and he met his son and he fell on him and he kissed him. Can, can, you, can you see that picture in your mind? Here's his father. And 
I think every day he's going out and he's just looking to the horizon. If he had binoculars, he would have been using them. But he's looking at the horizon and says, where's my son? Where's my son? And then one day he goes out there and he looks and he sees a figure. Man, that guy's in tough shape. But he watches and he watches. And even though his hair is scraggled, the beard is grown, the clothes are torn, he recognizes his son. He doesn't stand there and say, okay, come on, boy. Come on over here. I'll wait. It's about time you showed up. Your mom and I, we've been talking a lot about this. The whole neighborhood knows, by the way. I'm the talk of the town. I hope you want to know that. And you blew all that inheritance. I'm just surprised that you showed up. Boy, have I got things for you. You're going to spend the rest of your life working this off. He doesn't get that. What does he get? Folks, I'm drawing you a contrast. He gets this father running to him. He's, he's not wearing, you know, he's not wearing Nike shoes and, uh, you know, uh, he, he doesn't have sweats on. He's got probably a long cloak. He's got to pull it up and he's running out to, out to the sun and he, he falls on him. He's just, and he kisses him. In, in especially the custom of that land where you kiss on both cheeks, sometimes two on one, he kisses him. He's just, it's a, it's a sign of extreme love. He doesn't ask him for an explanation first. He doesn't, he doesn't give him a, the 10th degree. He doesn't chew him out. He doesn't, he doesn't say, where's the money? He doesn't, it's none of that. It's just this, I love you. This is God, picture God the Father's forgiveness towards us. Wow. It's undeserved. He was expecting grace's favor undeserved. There's not a hint of lecture or ridicule, no guilt trip. No talk of the pain or the debt that was owed. There's only joy. He says, bring the best robe. He doesn't just bring any robe. Bring the best robe. Get that Armani suit. Come on. Get out that. Get out the best shoes. Get the best sandals. Slaves didn't wear shoes. This boy was not a slave. He's my son. Get him some shoes. Get him a ring. A ring is like saying, give the son a credit card. Because they had a seal on the ring. He's restoring him. He's restoring him, and the guy doesn't deserve it. He's forgiven. Wow. But here's the deal. For restoration to be complete, and this is where some people miss it. Very, really, 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 really important. He receives it. Because he could say, Dad, no. Really. Just make me a servant. No, really. Don't want the ring? Don't want the shoes, don't want the robe, no, don't want it. But he receives it. You know, it would have been a slap in that father's face if he didn't receive it. And I think it's a slap in the father's face when we don't receive his blessing, his health, his prosperity, his joy, all the things that he went to the cross to pay for and we push away from the table because we have an issue with something. I think it's so much better to say, God, if this is what you want to bless me with, I receive it. I'm not going to question it. He doesn't question the love of his father, nor should we question the love of our father. Even if we don't understand it, we should just say, God, I receive it. It's a new covenant with better promises, and I receive what you bless me with. Because of God's forgiveness, our relationship has been restored. It says here uh, that his rela- the father says, His son was dead, but now he is alive. 
Wow. What was dead? It wasn't dead physically. He was, his relationship was dead. We were dead, but our relationship has been restored. In order to understand the depth of God's love, we must know the severity of sin. God is love, but he must punish sin. But he doesn't want to punish us. Wow. So God punished Jesus for our sins on the cross. Our sins were nailed to the cross. We're not forgiven because we escaped or God overlooked our wrong deeds. Justice was needed. God couldn't say, if he was a just God, say, you know what? I know you messed up a lot, but I'm just going to overlook it. We'll just let that one slide. Not one wrong thing we did could God let slide. Being a just God, everything had to have justice, a penalty to it. But he didn't want to punish you, and he didn't want to punish me. So he said, I'll punish my son so you don't have to get punished. Folks, that's forgiveness. Wow. And if that wouldn't have happened, our relationship would have been dead, but our relationship is now alive because he's forgiven us and he's taken that punishment. Look at Colossians 2.13. It's in your notes. You were dead because of your sins, dead in a relationship, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Now God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. Canceled. Deleted. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. Folks, in heaven tonight, my, 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 in heaven tonight, they cannot find, if you've accepted this forgiveness of what Christ has done, if you've received this, they cannot find one single charge against your life. If they type in, Jennifer Ennis, looking for her sins, Jennifer Ennis, it's a blank sheet. There's not one, nothing. It's saved for your life. If you receive the payment, if you don't receive it, the charges are still there. This has to be received. The minute's received, God hits one big select all and delete. Do you ever do the select all thing? God does the select all and the delete thing, and the charges are dropped. Wow. Look at Isaiah, or Psalm 103, 12. He has removed our rebellious acts as far as the east is from the west. Isaiah 43, 25, I, yes, alone, and the one who blots out your sins for my namesake, I like this, and will never think of them again. Ever been around somebody, they say, forgive you, but they keep bringing it up? It's like, come on, give me a break. Why are you thinking about that? God never thinks of it again. Wow, Hebrews 8, 12, I will forgive your wrongdoings, and I will never again remember their sins. I, I'll tell you what, folks. David Coop is devoted to God because he's forgiven. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.